Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. So glad to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got a very uh, peculiar item. If you'll take a look over here, now usually here in the shop we do not deal in replicas, but when you have a piece of antiquity, a one-of-a-kind item, it is hard to procure those sorts of invaluable pieces. But every once in a while, something of such importance comes along as an example of ancient ingenuity and technology, that when you find a replica of it, you can't help but to put it in at the very least as a showpiece for what was. And that is what we have here. It is a replica of what the completed mechanism would be. This is a replica of the Antikythera mechanism. Of course, the original, a piece of ancient Greek ingenuity, a hand-powered ori, described as the oldest known example of an analog computer. It is estimated that this device would have been used to predict astronomical positions and eclipses decades in advance. Of course, this artifact was found amongst a wreckage of a shipwreck off the coast of the Greek island of Antikythera in 1901. And it is an excellent example of ancient technology. And therein lies the essence of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new film, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Of course, I've been an Indiana Jones fan like many uh, of my age who, you know, born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, just one of those films, much like Star Wars, that just kind of changed my life as a kid growing up in terms of awe and wonderment. And it's very appropriate that Harrison Ford is a part of these two huge franchises that uh, the, the trilogies that they put out, uh, the original trilogies, I should say, uh, were so impactful on, on me as a kid growing up. And these two iconic characters, I you know, for my money, and I know I'm not in the minority in this. I know there's a lot of people, uh, especially people my age, that would probably agree with this. Han Solo and Indiana Jones have to be two of the greatest characters in cinematic history, if not the two greatest characters. That's where I would put Han Solo, Indiana Jones, one, two. Indiana Jones comes in a very close second to, to Harrison Ford's Han Solo character, but love these two characters. And it's very funny. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later. The comparisons of how the two characters were retreated in their advanced years. Uh, when it comes to how Han Solo is portrayed in the the new Star Wars trilogy, the sequel trilogy, uh, or at least the very first one, Force Awakens, and how Indiana Jones' story goes in this new movie, uh, Dial of Destiny. But a uh, huge fan of 
Raiders of the Lost Ark. Temple of Doom, I was not as big a fan of when, you know, as a kid growing up, and even as an, even as an adult, it's not my favorite Indiana Jones. Uh, Last Crusade, which came out uh, at the end of the 80s, 89. Uh, to me, though, those three made the the quintessential trilogy for Indiana Jones. And, and Last Crusade was supposed to be the last crusade. Was supposed to be the last in the series. But, of course, 2008 comes along and everybody wants to make a buck. So let's, let's you know, uh, it, it was that time, the early 2000s, when I think Hollywood started to run out of ideas. And let's reboot all these old franchises or let's do a soft reboot or a sequel to, to some of these older franchises, some of these known intellectual properties. And that's where they kind of started screwing some of these stories up. And I, I think they they did that to a degree with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I was not a fan of it. It had a lot of things I really liked. There was, a, you know, anything that had to do with Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford, I thought was enjoyable. It was good. Uh, not a fan of Shia LaBeouf. Uh, I thought him and his character were kind of annoying and it really felt like a, a shoehorn successor uh, to Indiana Jones. They were they were trying to set him up as that. The the CG in it, and and I'm I, I've got a love hate relationship with CG. But when CG is done right, it can be really good and really effective. And when you enhance practical effects with CG, it can be very effective. But then there's some CG and and a lot of CG that Lucasfilms has done, whether it is the prequel trilogy for Star Wars or some of the CG in Crystal Skull, uh, Shia LaBeouf swinging on vines was just, it looked fucking bad. And then by the time he got to the end of the movie, it was like, aliens, are you fucking serious? Uh, I was not a fan of Crystal Skull. So when I found out that they were doing this new movie, Indiana Jones on the Dial of Destiny, I... I had my reservations. I thought, oh, Christ, uh, if it's better than Crystal Skull, I suppose I'm okay with that. But the bar was set really low, uh, thanks to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And that may be where you have to go into this movie when you're watching it. You have to go in with the bar set low. Because if you're expecting Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you're expecting Last Crusade, hell, even if you're expecting Temple of Doom... You're, you're not going to get any of those movies. That's not to say Dial of Destiny isn't a good film. And it's not, it's not to say that it's not an enjoyable film. Because I think it is a good film. I think it is very enjoyable. It has its problems, but it also has a lot of things it does right. And a lot of things that I really enjoyed. Now, you're probably going to listen to a lot of other reviewers and a lot of other commentators on movie and TV. But... Uh, you know, some of them you're going to find that they got uh, all worked up over things like CG and de-aging and some character and story aspects that just didn't bother me that much. Like I said, not to say that it was perfect and not to say that some of these things didn't bother me to a degree, but I didn't let it bother me enough to where I didn't enjoy this film because I did. Is it in the top three? Uh, no, it's not. It's not Ark, it's not Crusade, it's not Temple of Doom, uh, but it is better than Crystal Skull, I think. For my money, I, you may disagree with me on that, but I really liked what they did with this. And 
if anything, you know, if you've got a problem with the CG, if you got a problem with the de-aging, if you got a problem with the story, if you got a problem with the whole Dial of Destiny and where that story ends up, uh, you can't take away from this movie the fact that it is acted very well. Everyone does a really good job in this. Harrison Ford just knocks it out of the park as an old Indiana Jones. Uh, you know, you've got return of characters like the Sala character, John Reese davies the Phoebe Waller-Bridge character, which I have some opinions on that. And the character I feel one certain way about, but Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I enjoyed her performance of this character. Her little sidekick, I've got some opinions about that, but I think the actor who played her sidekick uh, did a really good job. Mads Mikkelsen is just, you want a bad guy in a movie, you you hire Mads Mikkelsen or his brother Lars Mikkelsen. I'm, I'm excited to see Lars Mikkelsen as Grand Admiral Thrawn in the Ahsoka series uh, coming up some, what this year sometime. Uh, I'm really excited about that, but Mads Mikkelsen just does a wonderful job as an antagonist, and he knocks it out of the park in this as well. So, before we get any further, uh, I do want to say that there are going to be spoilers. I can't talk about this movie without feeling free to, to be able to talk about it. And uh, I, I can't do it without spoiling some things. So if you haven't watched Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, go watch it. Check it out in the movie theaters. I think it is worth the watch. I Like I said, I enjoyed it. It's not a perfect film. There are probably going to be some things that you might nitpick here and there. But all in all, if you just sit back and enjoy the show and allow yourself to enjoy it without having to look at it critically. I think that's what a lot of uh, reviewers and commentators on movies, I, I think they try too hard to look at a movie with a critical eye that they don't allow themselves to just sit back and fucking enjoy the show. And I did that, uh, you know, still trying to maintain it. Oh, I, I wish the CG was a little better here. I wish this character arc was a little better. The character development was a little more fleshed out. But all in all, I did enjoy this movie. So go watch it and then come back, hear my thoughts on it. See what I think about the movie. See if it jibes with what you feel about this movie. But from here on out, there are going to be spoilers. So you have been warned. So one of the things I really loved about this movie was the first 20 minutes. Because the first 20 minutes of this movie are set back in the 1940s, where we're used to Indiana Jones, uh, you know, hearing his tales. Of course, the, the time of Nazis. And it's toward the end of World War II, and Indiana Jones is taken captive, and it ends up on this train trying to recover the Lance of uh, Longinus, which is a an ancient artifact believed to have been the tip of the spear, uh, the spearhead that pierced the side of Christ at the crucifixion. And then there's a lot of uh, myth and lore about this lance, but the Germans, and, and if I'm not mistaken, this is a relic that Adolf Hitler you know, he was very into mysticism and the occult, and he was always after all of these old artifacts that he thought could help him win the war. The Ark of the Covenant, uh, the Lance of uh, Longinus, uh, you know, stuff like this that he thought was going to be able to help the Germans win World War II and, and take over the world. So that kind of is based in fact. Whether he ever came across this or found it, that's, that's a different story. But Indiana Jones is trying to recover this with the help 
of the Basil character played by Toby Jones, which uh, I'll get into that in a little bit. But this whole first 20-minute segment back in 1944 is all done with de-aging technology on Harrison Ford and Mads Mikkelsen. Now, I know for the close-ups, they actually used Harrison Ford. Uh, and just did the de-aging on his face uh, for some of the action sequence, some of the sequences where he's he's not in close-up. They had a couple actors. The one, I can't remember his name, but the other is Anthony and Gruber, which I'm a huge fan of his uh, because he has some... YouTube videos where he was, he, you know, he does a great Harrison Ford impersonation. And he has some uh, YouTube videos where he redoes the cantina scene where he's talking to, to Ben Kenobi and, and Luke Skywalker about the Millennium Falcon. And he does a wonderful impression of Harrison Ford, so much so that they actually used him as a young Harrison Ford in that Age of Adeline movie. Uh, that's Anthony and Gruber, and I was really disappointed. I wanted him to play uh, the Han Solo character in the movie Solo. Alden Ehrenreich did a good job, but I really would have liked because I, I think Anthony and Gruber is a little taller than Alden Ehrenreich, a little closer to Harrison Ford's uh, height when he played Han Solo. He looks like a younger Harrison Ford, and he does that impersonation of Harrison Ford that, that that's really good. So uh, having him come in and kind of being a, a body double for Harrison Ford for Indiana Jones, and then of course they did the, the de-aging and the, the face replacement, the deep faking on him as well as the, the other actor that they used. And from what I understand, they went back through all this archival footage of old Indiana, you know, the old Indiana Jones movies, the old Han Solo shots from from the three original Star Wars films, and use those as reference points for this de aging. So, I, for my money, I thought the de aging was really good. I thought it looked really good. There were a couple brief moments where it it, it seemed a little awkward. But it wasn't, you know, I've heard a lot of people talking about this, how it just took him out of the movie. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, what what do you want? Just sit back and enjoy the film. Because I thought the de-aging stuff looked pretty damn good. It wasn't perfect, but it was pretty, I mean, it was better than the fucking Luke Skywalker deep fake, you know, face replacement they did at the end of season two of The Mandalorian. Uh, at the very least, it was better than that. I don't know what people expect sometimes. And like I said, my wife was with me watching this movie and she was like, I knew it was de-aging technology because Harrison Ford is is not that age anymore. But you know, she she thought it looked really good as well. And she's not looking for, for all the ins and outs of what looks fake and what looks CG and what looks bad and what looks good as far as de-aging. She's just enjoying the movie. And, and I think you have to look at this movie and a lot of things in movies sometimes. It's not to say when it's really bad that you, you don't call filmmakers out on it, but... Jesus, you know, there's some times where they, they do a pretty damn good job and you, they, they need to get credit for that because I thought they did a really good job. Like I said, wasn't perfect. There are some moments where 
Uh, you know, the, the face kind of moved a little on the body, but those moments were few and far between. And if you just sit back in your chair and enjoy the action sequence on this train, uh, the de-aging didn't, didn't really bother me. Uh, they did some de-aging on Mads Mikkelsen as well. The one thing that really did bother me about the whole de-aging thing is that you've got this younger looking Harrison Ford, but it's old Harrison Ford's voice that you're hearing. Uh, deeper, gruffer older man voice that just just seemed a little off i wish they could have de-aged his voice uh, a little bit as well another thing that kind of bothered me about this whole beginning sequence was that uh, you know indy at one point before they get on the train he's hanging uh, an allied bomb hits this building and everybody blows up except for indiana jones apparently uh he can survive a nuclear blast in a old refrigerator and he cannot be blown up is that because he drank from the holy grail in last crusade who knows who knows but uh but there was that and then there was the moment on the train where mads mickelson takes a like a pipe off a water tower on this train line takes that to the face and would have crushed any normal person's skull but he ends up showing up later in the movie so that i was like ah I'm all for suspension of disbelief, but I mean, this dude would have had to have reconstructive surgery because his skull would have been crushed from this thing. They could have found another way to get him off that train. Other than that, that was a little more believable. But it's on this train, the setup, they find out the the Lance of uh, Longinus is, is a fake, but they find that the real treasure on this train is the the dial of destiny the the antikythera mechanism is is on this train and i think we find this out a little bit later but the lore of this uh, fictionalized version of a a real device is that the antikythera mechanism was a creation of archimedes in this fictionalized version in real version uh they think this maybe came from the school of archimedes uh it was from around the area syracuse uh where where he was known to live so that that's kind of the the thought process there but in in this movie uh it was created by archimedes and it was supposed to predict the appearance of rips in the fabric of time. So essentially uh, allowing for time travel, which is why Mads Mikkelsen, who goes from being a Nazi to working for the U.S. government, helping the U.S. government to develop their, their rocket system and then getting us to the moon. It's actually based on a real-life German man who, who came to the United States and did help us develop our rocket system. Uh, I can't remember his name right off the bat, but it is kind of based on a... a factual character but Mads Mikkelsen is is working through the U.S. government and because he's helping them out with uh, their rocket system and getting us to the moon they are indulging him on this quest for trying to find the dial of destiny and that kind of springboards us into the the movie proper because you know we've Flash forward from 1944 to 1969, we meet an old Indiana Jones who is is going through some, he's going through some shit. Uh, not only is he old now, but through exposition throughout the movie, we, we find bits and pieces more and more. You know, right off the bat, we find out that he's no longer married to Marion, which, uh, you know, they got married at the end of Crystal Skull, one of the, one of the few cool things in that movie. But uh, they're separated. We find out that the mutt character, his, his, their son, 
was killed in the Vietnam War. The loss of him really put a rift between Indy and Marion, so much so that uh, that she left him. And he's just not in a good place in this movie at all. He's he's retiring. He's a shell of the man he once was. And ultimately, Harrison Ford just does a wonderful job with this character. If any issue you have with this movie, you could probably you know say, okay, that's yeah, that's a good point. But uh, you can't say that Harrison Ford didn't just go for it with this. And I think that's one of the things that he really wanted to do. I mean, they didn't, I know he was quoted and James Mangold, the, the director of this movie, both talked about how they really didn't dive into how age affected Indy in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull because he was much older in that. He was an older Indiana Jones. And and they really didn't delve into the age, how age affects uh, an adventurer like this. And they really dove into that with this movie. And I, I think that's probably one of the things that Harrison Ford liked about it. It's one of the things that uh, made him want to come back for Indiana Jones one more time. Uh, it, to me... I, I did enjoy that, but there were very few moments where the character Indiana Jones felt like Indiana Jones because he gets caught up in this. Uh, the Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Helena Shaw character, which we'll, we'll talk about here in a minute. You know, it, it's more like she's leading the way and he's just tagging along where he, in other movies, he's the one solving the riddles, putting the puzzle pieces together to figure out the mysteries of history and to, to find the artifacts and to find the next step to getting that thing, that, that coveted uh, piece of history. And in this, like, you know, it started out like she's putting everything together. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, is this, uh, you know, you hear all the rumors about Kathleen Kennedy and, and how, you know, she wants to do Indiana Jones, but with Phoebe Waller-Bridge as the Indiana Jones character. Uh, that seems to be her MO, replace all the... Uh, replace all the guy heroes with female leads. And that's, you know, whatever. That's uh, I'm not going to jump on that woke witch hunt, but uh, it kind of felt like that. I, I get why people think that's going on because it's like, you know, she's running the show and she's figuring out all the things. And it wasn't until later that Indiana Jones started putting puzzle pieces together and, and finally getting them to the place where they found this other half of the Dial of Destiny. And at first, I thought it was a, oh, they're just trying to put the focus on Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character and make this more about her than Indiana Jones. But there's some lines at the end where Marion comes back to Indy and she says, I hear you're back. And I think that's really what this movie for Harrison Ford's character, Indiana Jones, was. It was for him to to get back to being Indiana Jones, back to being the badass adventurer. You know, maybe he's he's 80 years old. Maybe he's not going to be going on adventures. But it, it felt like for a, a good part of this movie, he was old and felt washed up. And he had lost everything. He had lost his son. He had lost his wife. He had lost everything that made him who he felt he was, this adventurer, uh, going out and, and you know cracking whips and things like that. And through this adventure, he finally found himself again, found who he is. So in, in that regard, I get why they made that choice to 
to put the Helena Shaw character as the one kind of driving things, but as the end, at the end, as as Indiana Jones, like I said, is finding himself, we finally get to see Indiana Jones being Indiana Jones, which made a lot more sense uh, when when you put all that in context. Now, the other primary character in this is the Phoebe Waller-Bridge character, Helena Shaw. Now, that's one of the things in this movie they did that I, I just I, I couldn't buy it is that Toby Jones plays Basil Shaw with Indy in the the flashback in 1944. And it's his best friend that we've never seen or heard of before. There's been no reference to him. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character, Helena, is Indy's goddaughter. I get it. There's a lot more to the story that we don't know because all we know are the events of the first four movies and not that connective tissue in between. So yeah, that's not to say that there wouldn't have been uh, this Basil Shaw character that was in Indy's life and probably his best friend so much so that he made Indy his his daughter's godfather but it just kind of felt like out of the blue it wouldn't be that bad if the fact that they didn't do that again later in the movie where they're trying to find this uh, friend of Indiana Jones who's a scuba diver and has a boat an old friend of his and then we get to the big reveal and I have no idea who this character is because we've never met him before in our life now the character Ronaldo is played by Antonio Banderas but I didn't even realize it was him you know he just he looked weathered and his hair was like he had like crazy old man hair and it wasn't until the final credits that i see antonio banderas on the screen i'm like antonio banderas what the f was he and then i realized he played the ronaldo character but there again it's this friend of indies that that he's known for for so long but we don't have any idea who this is and, and i don't like that sort of this here's a big reveal but it's not really a reveal because i've never seen this character in any of the other movies but back to the helena shaw character she is uh not a likable character to begin with she is looking for the dial of destiny because it was an obsession of her father's before he died and she's coming to indy to help find this piece of antiquity or at least the half that they've uh, they've seen and had their hands on but she's just, uh, you know, you find out right off the bat, she's a backstabber. She's very arrogant and her cockiness and her snark just come across as hubris. And uh, like I said, she's not a very likable character. And for the bulk of this movie, she does things that make you think that, oh, I, I don't like her. Now, that's not to say Phoebe Waller-Bridge did a bad job. Uh, she she did a good job with this character. I, I loved her performance as this character. I just don't think the character was written very likable until the very end where she has an about face and, and now all of a sudden she cares. And there was never really any like solid moment, uh, a solid aha moment where, okay, I, I've decided that the way I've been acting isn't right and I should be a good person. Uh, there was no aha moment. It was just all of a sudden, okay, I'm going to stop stabbing Indiana Jones in the back and and help him. Uh, it just, I don't know. Uh, that was a character flaw that really bugged me throughout the movie. Like I said, you're you're setting this character up to be 
like I said, what Kathleen Kennedy wants as a replacement for Indiana Jones, and and she's not very likable at all. If they made another movie on the Helena Shaw character, damn it, they better not name it Indiana Jones. Uh, but do I even want to see it? Because I don't like this character. Now, granted, where she starts out and where she ends, the character that is, is night and day. And like I said, the switch is only moderately believable at best but you like the character by the end of it and phoebe waller bridge i thought she did a really good job with the character as it was written on the on the script uh, the only one thing uh, both my wife and i brought this up on the ride home is that there's a scene a chase scene at the beginning of the movie where she's running across uh like some rooftops and I'm like, wow, she is lumbering because Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a very tall actress. And just, it looks so unnatural and awkward watching her lumbering across this rooftop. Uh, that's not to say she's not in in good shape, but it's just, it, it felt very awkward. And I was like, oh. Uh, did, did anybody tell her she had to do these running scenes? While we're talking about the Helena Shaw character, I did want to mention uh, the actor. I'm probably going to butcher his name, but Ethan Isidore. Uh, he plays the Teddy character. It is Helena's Moroccan sidekick when they have the, the events that go down in Tangier. Uh, I thought... He did a really good job with this character, and the character was very likable, but the character also was very derivative. I mean, it, it felt like they were trying to give... If they're going to make the Helena Shaw the new quote-unquote Indiana Jones, like they're trying to give her her version of Short Round. And like I said, the actor did a really good job with the character. The character is very likable, but it just felt like, ah, this is they're trying to do Short Round. They're giving her her Short Round. And I was like, I swear to God, if he says no time for love, Dr. Jones, I'm leaving this effing theater right now but going back to our main character just mad mickelson as jürgen voller uh he is a nazi during world war ii uh he was hired by nasa to help build you know rockets for the apollo mission but there are a lot of scenes early on i mean it's mad mickelson and you know that he's the bad guy but there are some scenes where he gives little bits of exposition to this old uh, world war ii vet that, that's bringing him food at the hotel where he says that you didn't win the war hitler lost the war and that's kind of the the bulk of this they they do it as a reveal at the end I wish they would have made the reveal a little sooner, but he's using this artifact, this dial of destiny. He wants to go back in time. Indiana Jones has this line where he's like, oh, are you going to kill Churchill? Are you going to kill Eisenhower? And it's not that he wants to go back in time to, to kill any of the leaders of the allies. He wants to go back in time and kill Hitler so he can then lead the Nazis to victory because his, his whole thing was that Hitler got them to war and, and rallied the troops to get them to war. But then once they got to war, he, he lost it by the decisions he made and that he could do a better job. He saw all the things that Hitler did wrong and he's, he's going back in time to kill Hitler, not to stop the war like you see supposed in a lot of time travel films and time travel debates but he's going back to kill Hitler so he can do a better job than Hitler did which I think was a kind of an interesting thing it, it just didn't get paid off because when they use 
this dial of destiny and go back in time. There's this moment before they, they get sucked into this rift in time where Indy's like, you know, Archimedes didn't account for continental shift and that the location that they were going to wasn't where they thought they were going. And instead of going back to Germany during World War II, they go back to the siege of Syracuse, uh, you know, at the time of Archimedes. And ah. I, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I really wish, you know, you're setting up this whole thing of them going back to Germany. And I really wish that that would have felt more in line with the story being told to this point. Going back to the the siege of, uh, of Syracuse just felt a little anticlimactic. I mean, it does play into the idea that you can't change history. History is always happened because when they find the tomb of Archimedes they see a phoenix but the phoenix has propellers on it and when they're in I don't think it's Tangier I think it's uh, when they're in Syracuse there's like a street fair going on and you see somebody doing a marionette show and they show these Roman soldiers uh, puppets uh, marionette puppets of Roman soldiers being attacked by a dragon and then of course when they go back in time to the the siege of, of Syracuse they think that this airplane that has come through the sky, they think it's a dragon. And, of course, the, the phoenix on the, on the tomb having the propellers, uh, once this plane crashes and you see the smoke and the fire and, of course, a phoenix uh, being a firebird and then with the propellers, it, it all makes sense. This all already happened and we're just seeing how it happened being played out which puts a bit of a plot hole because indy wants to stay in syracuse back in the when it was like second third century somewhere around there and i didn't like the fact that it set up the idea that history has already happened so them going back in time wasn't going to change history it was fulfilling history and indy wanting to stay uh you know phoebe waller bridge's character helena her reason for him not staying there is that he'll screw up history. But if history has already happened, then him staying there would have already happened. And it, it just it got a little confusing. I think it would have been better played if he wants to stay there because he has nothing to go back to. And her needing him to be back there in our time, or at least our time is according to this movie in the 60s but to go back to be the father that she no longer has because toby jones had died years ago and she needs that father figure i think they could have played off of that emotional capital that they could have built a little better throughout the movie instead of making her so insufferably unlikable at the beginning of the movie or at least have her be insufferable at the beginning of the movie like they did and have her gradually seeing indy as the father she no longer has and that be the reason why she I mean I, I think it's implied slightly but I think they could have put a little more focus on it so it was a little more obvious and make that be the reason why he can't stay there and has to come back uh, other than that she just cold cocks him and he wakes up in his bed in his apartment in New York City and Marion's there Sala comes there it's a, it's a regular Indiana Jones reunion nostalgia whoring it's a part of the culture today you know Everybody wants to have nostalgia trips and that moment between him and Karen Allen as Marion Ravenwood, where they do a reverse of that scene in Rages of the Lost Ark, where he's asking where she's hurt 
And she says all over, and then, is there anywhere you're not hurt? And she does the elbow, and he kisses it. And over here, and he kisses it, and then they kiss. Uh, kind of a, a reverse of, of that scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark was was wonderful. And then they they pan out and to that hat hanging on a clothesline, and they kind of do that circle fade in and then all of a sudden Indy's hand comes out and snatches the hat back like he has done in so many of the movies it really was an enjoyable watch like I said there were a lot of things they did right with this one I think the story was was pretty good uh was a perfect no because like I said the the, uh, emotional capital they could have created with the relationship between Helena and Indiana Jones uh, I just don't think it was taken advantage of and it was awkward at best and I think these two could have had better chemistry if the relationship between these two was written a little better uh, CG I thought was really good the from the de-aging stuff to the the CG and the, that they used in the chase scenes now granted there was some green screen work which I've heard a lot of reviewers and commentators really bitching and moaning about that it wasn't that bad like I said you gotta stop looking at it with such a critical eye and just fucking enjoy the movie there were moments in that New York chase scene where Indy's on the horse that I'm like ah, that's that's some green screen work there but it was nothing that took me out of the action if you're looking at this and enjoying the chase and not looking for something to bitch about for the most part I've seen chase scenes and I've seen horse work uh, done with CG that looks effing horrible and this was not horrible this wasn't wasn't perfect but you know it's CG you know very rarely is there CG that's done any time that is perfect and it's getting better and I thought this was some really decent CG work some pretty good CG work and some pretty decent green screen work trying to make that street in New York look like it was back in 1969 that that was some pretty impressive work was it perfect by no stretch of the imagination but it was all right It, it was enough that you know I felt like it was in the moment and I enjoyed the chase scene now granted there were a lot of chase scenes and it got a little chase scene overload. Uh, my wife and I showed up at the movie theater and my dad and stepmom showed up at the same time and they watched the movie with us. And that's one of my my stepmom's uh, biggest critiques. It's like, oh, geez, too many chase scenes. And, and I have to agree with that. But the chase scenes they did do were enjoyable enough, especially given the technology that it took to, to create these scenes was it completely practical like some of the old indiana jones movies no but i thought it was pretty good for the pace and the the speed of these chase scenes now speaking of pacing there were some pacing issues with this movie because in indiana jones movies in the past and i've rewatched all of them except for crystal skull here recently and uh, they they move along at a pretty good clip i mean you're jumping from location to location to location and here you did that, but there was some downtime in between. There were locations that you really didn't need to, to do. There were scenes that you really didn't need to do. Uh, bits of exposition that just felt like it slowed things down. I think the pacing could have been helped by shortening this movie. I mean, it's two and a half hours, something like that. I mean, Jesus, if they would have just knocked off like 15 minutes, 
I think they could have got this movie down to a, a really good clip. And, and the pacing wouldn't have been such an issue. But I did like all the nods to, to the various movies. There's that wonderful scene in, in a scene that I thought they could have, have cut the whole auction scene where the Phoebe Waller bridge character Helena steals the Dial of Destiny and tries to auction it off. You didn't need that whole scene. That whole scene was set up for just another reason to do a chase scene. But they had that moment where Indy you know, pulls out his whip and he's whipping all around. And you, you've seen it in the trailer. Uh, but then everybody pulls a gun on him. Like that scene with the swordsman in Raiders of the Lost Ark where he's flicking this sword this way and that way and doing all these fancy moves. And then Indy just pulls out his gun and shoots him. Uh, that was a, a nice nod to that. Uh, there's a, a moment where he and Helena are climbing up this rock wall and he's talking about all the things he's gone through and how much he hurts and why is he doing this he's had to drink the blood of Kali he's had voodoo done on him nods to Temple of Doom there are actually some Last Crusade Easter eggs in his apartment uh, there's a picture a painting of his father's depicting uh, Christ being stabbed by the spear and also uh, that piece of artwork uh, showing the knight with the cup walking across the the bridge that's kind of invisible there was that multiple pictures of younger marion and i like the fact that they used a piece of antiquity to be the MacGuffin for the whole story. That's that's one of the things I liked about Raiders of the Lost Ark. They're looking for the Ark of the Covenant. Last Crusade, they're looking for the Holy Grail. I think that's probably why, I, you know, I like those being uh, pieces of Christian history. Uh, I, I guess that's probably why I, I like those. Uh, Temple of Doom with the rocks that I've never heard of. Uh, I don't even know if they're based on anything in real life, but uh, that just didn't resonate with me. Uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull also, I, I know that they base this off the Crystal Skull phenomenon, but there again, it's just nothing that resonated with me. But this is something, the Antikythera mechanism is is something that I've, you know, I've seen and I've read about, and it was actually brought into back into the public eye here, I don't know, within the last 10 years. This is an old mechanism that had been at the bottom of an ocean for, for centuries and it's corroded, but there's somebody actually made what seems to be a working replica of it out of brass and whatnot, or at least that's uh, made a replica of it uh, out of it, how they assume it to work. So it's something I'm, I'm quite aware of. It doesn't have that Christian lineage of of the supernatural about it, no. And I think that's probably kind of what I like about Raiders and and Last Crusade. But but it's still a piece of antiquity that I I know about and I could resonate with that. I I was interested in it. The fact that they made it opening up rifts in time seemed a little hokey, but that's kind of what they do. They take a piece of history and you know, apply supernatural elements to it or, or supernatural effects to it to to make an interesting story and an interesting piece of history and archaeology that bad guys want for nefarious purposes and good guys want to keep out of bad guys' hands and uh, it belongs in a museum. 
But ultimately, I, I really did like this movie. Like I said, all the actors I talked about uh, did a wonderful job. Actors like Karen Allen and John Reese davies reprising their roles was, was fun. Uh, a couple actors I didn't talk about. Boyd Holbrook played kind of Voller's right-hand man, and he plays the sadistic, violent character, which was, was really interesting. Seanette Renee Wilson played Mason, uh, the U.S. government agent. I would... I almost thought they were setting it up for her to be like Indiana Jones sidekick. And that would have made an interesting movie. You know, she's hunting Indiana Jones to begin with, uh, working with the Voller character played by Mads Mikkelsen. And all of a sudden, these CIA agents that she's working with uh, start killing civilians. And she realizes that they're working with Voller. They're secret Nazis. And she kind of has an about face and you think, oh, she's going to turn good. She's going to help Indy and she ends up getting shot. But I really liked her character. I thought she did a really good job with the character. I would have liked to have seen this character with a bigger role in this. Uh, I enjoyed Phoebe Waller-Bridge and I liked her character, Helena. Uh, and it's not that I wanted the Mason character to replace her, but uh, that, that would have made an interesting movie as well, I think. And I am a little disappointed we got a short round knockoff when we could have had short round in the movie with uh, Ki Hui Kwan uh, reprising his role as short round. I think that would have been so much fun. And if you've seen any of those photos with him and Harrison Ford running into each other and just the sheer look of delight on both of their faces... Uh, I think at least a cameo at some point, maybe at the end or, or I don't know where, but uh, that would have been a great nod to to him as an actor, given all the recent success he's had with uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. I would have loved to have seen that, but unfortunately we didn't get it. So there you have it. Those are my thoughts on Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Uh, not a perfect movie, not a, you know, it certainly doesn't stand up to Rage of the Lost Ark, Last Crusade, or even Temple of Doom. Uh, Temple of Doom was never my favorite, but, uh, you know, it, in the pantheon of the, the three original movies, uh, that was my least favorite one until Kingdom of the Crystal Skull uh, came along. And now it's number three of four. Well, it was number three of four. Uh, now I'd have to say it's still number three of five. Rage of the Lost Ark is always going to be my favorite. Uh, Last Crusade is a close second. I love that movie. Temple of Doom is still really good. And Dial of Destiny's got to come in at number four. Uh, it'll, it'll never be as good as the, that original trilogy of Indiana Jones films. But it's still good. It's still better than Crystal Skull. And that's not to say Crystal Skull didn't have some good moments. It just had a lot of things I just didn't like. I didn't really like Kate Blanchett as, as the villain. Uh, it wasn't as believable to me. Uh, Kate Blanchett, wonderful actress. I just didn't like the character she was playing, uh, the CG in that movie. I mean, if for anybody that bitches about the CG in Dial of Destiny, did you watch Crystal Skull? Because that had some that had some shitty CG. Uh, if anything, the CG in Dial of Destiny is is not that. So quit bitching about the the Dial of Destiny CG. Go watch Crystal Skull and see what some real shitty CG looks like. But yeah. Dial of Destiny definitely coming in at number four in my favorite Indiana Jones movies. And of course, Crystal Skull uh, sucking hind teat on this one. But yeah, just because it comes in at number four doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy this, which I, I really did. I did like this movie. It was fun. It at times didn't feel like the Indiana Jones of my youth. 
It didn't feel like Indiana Jones of those, you know, first three movies. But Harrison Ford is a lot older. I'm glad they didn't have him doing unrealistic things for an 80-year-old man. And Indiana Jones at the beginning of this movie isn't the Indiana Jones of those first three movies. He's a shell of the man he used to be. And it's not till we get towards the end that he starts being Indiana Jones again. But great acting aside, uh, interesting story aside, not horrible CG, in spite of what other people might say. It was a little long. Some of the development uh, of characters was a little wonky. And the ending was, ah, I wish the ending, they had gone different routes on, on several different things. But it was still a fun watch and still an enjoyable movie. And unlike Crystal Skull, I might go back and watch this. Now, I, I can't say that. I can't say that. I'll probably go back and watch Crystal Skull eventually, but I'd rather watch this on a rewatch than Crystal Skull any day of the week. So there you have it. Those are my thoughts on Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, a wonderful wrap-up to the Indiana Jones saga. I, I think they did the character justice in making this i'm assuming this is going to be the last hurrah for indiana jones that's kind of what they're pitching this as as the the final hurrah for indiana jones and he finally gets to live happily ever after so i you know that made me happy and i this beloved character and the beloved actor even though he kind of comes across as grumpy sometimes in interviews uh you know i love harrison ford almost anything he's ever done but especially these two iconic characters of han solo and indiana Jones that were so influential in my life. Uh, you know, I wanted a bullwhip as a kid so I could be like Indiana Jones. Uh, my mom wouldn't buy me one. Uh, even when we went to the livestock auctions where they had bullwhips, uh, she still wouldn't buy me one. I'm, I'm bitter about that to this day. But these two iconic characters that Harrison Ford played, you know, he didn't get as good a send-off in, in Star Wars as he did Indiana Jones. And and I like how Lucasfilms keeps doing this to Harrison Ford, his two iconic characters. They both ended up old, a shell of the man they once were. They had something happen to a kid that caused a rift between them and their wife and ended up both ended up old and alone. Coincidence? I don't know. But I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Check out more of what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page, as well as Instagram. Of course, we're always posting trailers and articles, adding my two cents on whatever top of the article they may be talking about in horror, fantasy, and science fiction. Always posting all sorts of stuff on our Instagram page. And no matter where you listen to this podcast, please leave a review. Five stars would be awesome, as well as sharing this uh, podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror fantasy and science fiction and uh, stay on top of when those new episodes hit by subscribing liking following whatever you have to do on the podcast platform of your personal choice so until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkins curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon but even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. <laughs>